I love my mother dearly. She's 4'11", little feisty Italian woman. And when she was coping with my dad, when I was a child, she would run up and down Falling Spring Road with her black hair pulled back in a ponytail and her peasant skirts and her flip-flops just to like clear her head. And I used to watch her run thinking, wow, I can't believe she's going for, she's going for that two mile run and she did. She came back and refreshed and ready to rock and roll. So I think seeing her like keep moving forward kind of helped me, gave me a little bit of strength to help her you know, with all of us kids at home, because it was just us. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 35 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. If you're a fan of the underdog, Lori Peretti Diamond's story is for you. Nothing ever came easy for her in life. As the second of six children, she was like a second mom to her family. And those poor, humble roots truly shaped her grit grind and love of community. Powered by her huge heart and ability to endure and suffer, Lori has set three American age group records as a master's runner in her 50s. Truly remarkable achievements as a runner, yet she's having an even bigger impact on those in need. Giving away prize money from local races, befriending local migrant workers and donating supplies to them are just a few of the things that really stand out and make her such a treasured member of her Chambersburg community. When Lori moved from Catholic school to public in high school, she had a difficult time fitting in. She was self-conscious about her Wrangler jeans, Kmart sneakers, and lack of cool clothes to wear. And then, at her most vulnerable and awkward time, she had a chance encounter with Mr. Cook, who told her he needed her on the track team, Being seen and needed completely changed the course of Lori's life. Some words from Lori. Yes, I've learned that I can keep going even when I'm at my lowest. And more importantly, I've learned I'm not defined by a finish time on a clock. None of us are. We're defined by the light we give to others and those we help along the way. Having a great race here and there makes the journey a little more interesting. The failures, I think we need those to keep us humble and ambitious at the same time. Powerful and wise words indeed. I'm so thankful to Devin Zeger, the communications director, and Mike Spindler, the race director from the JFK 50, for sharing info on Lori on their page, which led to me inviting her on the show. I'm honored to share her amazing story. I hope you all enjoy the convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Good afternoon, Lori Peretti Diamond. How are you doing this afternoon? Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. I'm good, Ron. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. I'm excited, excited to have this conversation. Um, you know, Devin and the the awesome people that put on the JFK 50 were just, you know, boasting about some of the amazing running results you had. I think you had just done a 31 mile training run for the day. 
And, you know, they had to give you, you know, some love for the day. Not <laughs> I love only, them. Yeah, not only that you crushed a 31-mile training run, but, you know, they gave your history and the race and all the amazing times you ran. That's but, a great race. Yeah, JFK 50. And, and for everybody who hopefully will be watching this on YouTube later, we got our JFK 50 shirts on. Yes, we do. I got, we're twinning it today. We're twinning. And you got the bandana. I do. I had to rock the ultra buff, you know, because they're a sponsor of the race. So you got to... Take care of them. And I got my Tommy Ribs hat on because I always got to rep Tommy Ribs because he's in my heart and, you know, always thinking about ribs. So, how about it? Yeah. So, we got all that going. So, because of Devin, which I'll have to have Devin and maybe Mike together, that would be a fun episode. Uh, Maybe I'll get them on as a team and and we'll do a whole chat about the race and we'll get into all the history and all the stuff. But um, for everybody at home, Lori's an amazing runner who's just put up some remarkable uh, national records as an age group runner, later in life runner in her 50s, and is just recently aged up to 55. But we're not going to talk about any of her records or any of that fun (laughs) stuff yet, because I always like to you know, get a sense of where does somebody come from? Where do they grow up? When, how did they get introduced to sports and all that? So I'm just going to give, give Lori the mic and she's going to tell us about uh, life growing up. So... Life growing up, I grew up in Chambersburg. I st- I'm still here in Chambersburg, and I'll probably be here for a long time because my husband owns a business here. So until we're done with that, I'll be in Chambersburg, which is fine. It's my home, but I feel like my real home is Jersey City because I told you about my my roots in Jersey. That's where my mom and dad are from. And they are children of Italian and Irish immigrants and grandchildren of them as well. And as a kid, I spent a lot of my childhood running up and down this 49 Nelson Avenue, Jersey City, New Jersey, terrorizing the old ladies. (laughs) We had a blast. I loved it. Like I still loved it. I just loved it. It was a happy time in my life being there with my grandparents. That's, that's so cool. So we have that, uh, that connection because when I got divorced, um, my ex Kay and I, who are terrific friends, um, you know, they're a multi generational family in Bayonne, which is the case almost always in Bayonne and Jersey City. You're seeing people that are there for the second or third generation, and they're living in their you know two family, three family houses, and they're super close and tight community. And uh, I moved back there um, after we got divorced when my son got to sports age, because as you know, if you want to coach you know, your kids uh, playing a team sport, you have to live in the town. And that's a good rule. You know, you shouldn't be able to just come in from, you know, on the weekends and just be some dad or mom who's like not living there and part of all that's going on. So uh, fond memories too. I've logged a lot of miles in Bayonne at uh, Hudson County Park and, you know, all the areas that I could and 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 rocked it into Jersey City too because they play baseball games over there too. So wherever games, wherever they were playing baseball, you know, I sometimes run before the games or run after the games or whatever because, you know, you got to get your miles in somewhere, right? You do. I used to run up and down, down to Journal Square and back. Oh, nice. Nice. And now you could, running on the water is just magnificent. Um, when yes, I, I haven't been back in a yeah, while, but I, I would I, like to go back. I think you would enjoy um, running around the water, particularly, you know, like uh, Harborside, all those areas around there, you know, where the Colgate sign is, all of that. It's all connected. It's all, you know, just been beautifully 
redone. Um, and when yes, I, I've heard that. Yeah. When I, when I had the chance to run the 60 miles for Tommy Rivers on my 60th birthday, I ran a ton of those miles there. I ran out to um, Liberty State Park, the furthest end of the park, which is super windy, and then looped back and then ran up towards the George Washington Bridge. And then the winds were like 30, 40 miles an hour that day. So instead of crossing the bridge and then going into the city, I actually ran back to Weehawken and then took the ferry and finished up in New York. But I really think you would enjoy it. So if you come back up, to visit the old neighborhood, you know, let me know. Drop me a line. We'll, we'll get some miles in. Yeah, that would be great. I would love to go back up someday. Yeah. Yeah. Come come visit. I'm sure, you know, those Jersey City families will welcome you with open arms. I'll be like, come on back. Mm-hmm. And you grew up in a big family, right? A lot of kids, big family. Six of us. I'm number two of six. Two of six, which order, you know, automatically. I'm any, number two. Anybody who comes <laughs> from a big family, uh, whether that's a lot of your own direct siblings or just a lot of cousins and all of that, anybody who comes from that big family knows uh, the way things work. Uh, so you are kind of, you were kind of thrust into almost like a second mom's role, uh, very much, you know, with your siblings and having to work and help and support. So talk a little bit about that. Cause I think it's had a lot to do with shaping you as a, as a grown up and adult. So I'm number two of six children to my mom and my dad, and we lived in Chambersburg and, um, I'm 17 years older than my youngest brother, Dominic. Isn't that something like yeah, that's yeah. my brother. And I'm like, so he's my brother and I'm his sister. But sometimes he, he says, Lori, you acting like you're my mom and you're not I'm like, I know Dominic, but I'm treating you like a child sometimes because I feel like I'm your mom because I help so much, you know, with you when you were a baby, you know, when you needed it, I got him in line because I was t- helping my mom run the household because it was just my mom. You know, we had a dad and um, he wasn't there very often as when we were kids. So he would come and go and it was just us six kids and my mom. So I helped a lot at home, taking care of the kids, helped my mom. And, um, you know, that's just how it was for me. You know, like I didn't, it wasn't really like about me. It was about like what the family needed, what my brothers needed, what my sisters needed, what my mom needed. So I don't know that I had like, you know, we had the typical childhood like like my daughters have had. You know, my childhood was more of like like a little mom, if that makes sense. I guess it. I don't know if it does or it doesn't, but that's how I can explain it to you. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. Um, it because it's it's just a different a different way of growing up. Um, where you're thrust into being more of an adult at an earlier age um, than most kids. And I just know growing up to being raised by a mom, my dad was around too, but not often similarly. Um, so it was really all my mom. And, and that was just, there were three of us, so it wasn't six. And I just know that you are all forced to do different things. We all were. Um, we started working, you know, we were eight years old and we we're already working. So we already understood the value of doing stuff. So it was, we had paper routes, we shoveled snow, we cut lawns, um, and we did all those things. Um, and it wasn't just to give that money to my mom, it was just so we could, we could all have some money for ourselves and understand working and good work ethic and all that. So it was important. And I, I have no doubt in your end, particularly with having a larger family, um, it, it really helped your mom. Yes, it really helped my mom. And I, I love my mother dearly. She's an awesome, she's 4'11", little feisty Italian woman. And when she was coping with my dad, um, 
when I was a child, she would run up and down Falling Spring Road with her black hair pulled back in a ponytail and her peasant skirts and her flip-flops just to like clear her head. And I used to watch her run thinking, wow, I can't believe she's going for, she's going for that two-mile run. And she did. She came back and refreshed and ready to rock and roll. So I think seeing her like keep moving forward kind of helped me, gave me a little bit of strength to help her you know, with all of us kids at home because it was just us. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a lot of stress to manage. Um, it's a lot of voices. It's a lot of people pulling on you, um, for attention. And I know myself as a middle child, I always felt like, you know, how do I get my mom's attention? (laughs) Like, what do I do? You know, do I yell louder than everybody else? Do I jump up and down? Um, you know, what do I have to do in baseball? What do I have to do in school? So like, I understand that whole dynamic of, um, you know, just wanting to get, some attention, getting some focus and, you know, to make sure your mom, your dad, somebody is actually paying attention to you. Somebody's listening to you. So I think, um, you know, that's just an interesting dynamic, you know, growing up like that. Yeah, it was nice. Like I have happy memories of my childhood and helping my mom and watching her run and um, her sister ran too. And I think, you know, I saw them run, but I never ran, um, as a child, I didn't, we didn't do sports because we were, we were poor. We couldn't afford, you know, I said, I wanted to be a, a ballerina or a gymnast. And it, there just wasn't the funds for that. There just wasn't. So like I watched, um, I told you I like, loved Mary Lou Rett and I loved Joan Benoit. And so I would, you know, live vivaciously through them and help my mom. Yeah. Well, that's, that's beautiful. So, I mean, I wasn't an athlete as a child at all. We swam swimming lessons at the Y. It was free. We could do that. So my mom and I hated it. I hated swimming at the Y. The water was freezing cold. I was skinny. I'm not buoyant. We, she wanted us to swim. So we swam because that's what mom wanted. And, and it, I think it was probably free. And so I think it made her feel good that she could put us in that. So we went and we swam at the Y and I, I hated it. I just, and I still as an adult, I do not like to be in the water. I hate to be wet. It's cold. I don't like it. And um, that was really the only sport I had as a child until high school. And I, I didn't really ever see myself as being an athlete at all. Like I never even thought about it. Not even remotely. I just swam because my mother wanted me to. That that's I have such such an interesting relatable thing you know growing up as a kid um, my old you know we always followed my older brother because he was good at everything and you know when a smaller family you know you follow your older brother your younger brother whatever or sister somebody's doing something and we had it wasn't a why it was like an outdoor pool by our house it was also free and he became really good like he would go to these he wasn't like on a swimming team or anything but he would swim like the backstroke and be in a couple of meets and my mom would be like you know you two go get in the water and I was just like you're describing my lips were blue i was literally my bones were were making noises out loud i'm like no i'm not going in this water you can't make me and my last my last guest is like a total badass iron man triathlete and she messaged me after the pod thanking me for having her on the show and how much fun we have and she goes now get in the water she sends me and she (laughs) wrote that at the end of the comments now get in the water and i'm like you can't you can't make me go in or something like that it's like no no there's it's like childhood trauma of being frozen 
Um, yes, it's childhood trauma. Yes, I do not run in the water when I'm injured either. No, thank you. So we're not going to be able to recruit you into a life of triathlon. <laughs> it's not happening, no, Lori. It's not it's happening. It's not happening. All right, it's okay. I'm sorry. I apologize. That's okay. I mean, don't... kudos to everyone who does it. I can't do it. Yeah. I, I think we have to know our limitations. And if we try something and it's just not for us, I'm cool with that. It's just, you can't just let fear overrule things. Like I'm not saying everybody should go jump out of an airplane or whatever, but you know, if you try a sport and you're like, you know what, this isn't for me. Cool. But you got to give it at least a try and, you know, maybe a couple of tries. And I'm not giving up with swimming yet because I still have a dream of doing an Ironman one day. And I've done half Ironman in, in my thirties. And then I had a really bad bike crash, Lori. So that it just can really mess with you psychologically to crash that hard and be that broken up. And although I've come back to riding now 30 years later, I still have some moments. They're like almost like PTSD moments. Like you're like, all of a sudden you start gripping the handlebars tight, but I can make it through the riding portion and obviously the running, but the swim, you know, I'm going to have, have a lot of work, but, um, I want to, one thing <laughs> I, one thing I always ask people about, and in your cases, cause we had chatted a little and I'd sent you some, you know, some prep questions and whatnot before the show. Um, you know, people have had an impact in someone's life. A lot of times it's a teacher. It could be a coach. It could be a parent, but in your case, I think that the influence that this person, um, had on you is so profound and so strong. So I want you to tell everybody about, uh, it's Mr. Cook. So tell everybody Mr. about Mr. Cook. Tell her let's let's learn about Mr. Cook together because um yeah man I I just enjoyed Tim it. Cook saved me. Let me tell you. He was awesome. He was the coach at Chandler Area Senior High School where I found myself in ninth grade after 8 years of Catholic school and the nuns and the rosary beads and all that and then popped me into the there you go. Yes. They hit us with those, you know, if you got, if you didn't follow what sister Phyllis said, so <laughs> off to the high school. And then I was rough for me because I didn't know anyone, you know, I was at the Catholic school and we were poor. So I didn't have like the Calvin Kleins and, you know, whatever we wore back then, the Jordache jeans, I just had a couple pair of Wranglers my blue tracks from Kmart. Remember those rubbery blue with the strap? I had those and a couple t-shirts and um, that was about it. And I, and I went there and it was rough. Like I was awkward, um, shy, and probably not really prepared for all of that. And um, my brother ran on the track team and I never thought to run. And one day I was there waiting and I don't remember why I was there, but my brother was there and I was there. Mr. Cook went by and he looked at me and I looked at him. I knew who he was, but I didn't really, I wasn't on the team. And he said to me, Lori, we could sure use you on the team. And I was like, what? And he said, again, we could sure use you on the team. My brother, Chris started laughing and I was like, Oh no, no, no. I, I, I'm not an athlete. I, I'm done with swimming. Like I'm done now. Like I'm free. So no, you can't use me on a team. He said, yes, I'd like to see you at track tomorrow. And I was like, holy crap. I never ran a step in my life. Never even thought about running. And it was like, oh no. And I was like panicking because I was a kid and I was like, I don't want to be on the track team. Like I don't run. I don't know anybody. And not only that track had already started. It was about two weeks into the season. So we go home and Chris told my mother, mom, 
Mr. Cook said he could sure use Lori on the team. And mom's like, oh, good, she can go. And I was like, I don't want to go. And Chris is like, no, you can go. And I'm like, so I didn't have running clothes. So we went down to my brother's room. And because uh, his room was in the basement, there were six kids in my house, three bedrooms. So Chris's room was, you know, a rancher was downstairs in the, in the finished basement. So we went down there and Chris gave me a pair of shorts and a, and a t-shirt. He said, you can wear this track practice tomorrow. I'm dying. And I'm like, I don't really don't want to go. So I went to school the next day and I thought about getting on the bus and going home, but I didn't. I went to track and there were all the girls in there and they're, fancy clothes and there's me and my brother's stuff and my Kmart shoes and Mr. Cook said oh Lord I'm so glad you're here he introduced me to the team and I was like why is he so interested in me I I don't know why I think he knew like I needed someone and that it was rough at home sometimes because he knew my brother and so he said I just want you Lord to go around the track and run four see if you can run four laps is a mile I was like well I didn't even know that so I said okay so I ran the four laps you know I felt fine I wasn't even tired like I ran that four laps and I came back he goes you're done already like, yeah I'm done I ran four laps he goes really he goes yeah and I said yeah I ran he said okay well, wanting to keep coming to practice and I was like okay and that's how it all started like he asked me to be on the team changed the course of my life because I don't know where I would be today if he didn't ask me and put an interest in me as a person and it wasn't just through high school. He, I told you he helped me get into college, too, later on. But, um, like, he was awesome, that man. What a what an awesome story. Um, and I was and, like, no one. I wasn't even on the team. I mean, it just, I think, I, what I always love to figure out is, um, you know, how people got their start. Um, a lot of times it is following brothers and sisters or, you know, somebody in the family did a sport. But in this case, you know, at a point when, you know, you're, you're struggling with so much getting integrated into a new school, you know, coming from a Catholic school where you have uniforms on every day. And now all of a sudden you're at a high school where, you know, even if it's a small town, you still don't really know everybody. It's not the same no, thing. I didn't know everyone. So now you're, you're I mean, we were Italian. We were the yeah. only Italian family in Chambersburg. Yeah. So now you're trying to integrate with, with more or less strangers, right? You don't feel comfortable in your clothes. You don't feel comfortable in how you're dressed. You just don't feel comfortable, period. No, I didn't so, have the look. <laughs> yeah, so you're struggling just like any other kid. I don't know any kid on earth who went through high school and didn't have some self-esteem issues. We it's all horrible. do. It's it was like, horrible. It is. They're, they're, rough, they're rough times in our life and they callous us, but sometimes they, they make us become really strong, you know, when we grow up and we become an adult and we, it may take us a long time to get to that Took me level. a long time. See? But <laughs> a the, very the, long time. Yeah. But see, the thing is, Mr. Cook, like at a moment when no one could know, you know, when we go back in time and look over your story, it's like, it fits perfectly now, him. but you could never know then that here's this person who came into your life when you needed that. So you needed to be around other people. Most importantly, you needed to have somebody beside your mom and your siblings who believed in Lori and said, Lori's cool. We need Lori. She could really help us. And, you know, that's a great shot in the arm for self-esteem. So for all the great coaches in the world, like Mr. Cook and all the great teachers out there that teach subjects in school who believe in us, and maybe they think you're a good writer or you're a good artist or whatever it is, God bless you because he changed the course of your life. So he got he you. He certainly did. Got you onto the running team. You didn't even feel like you belonged. And all of a sudden you find out, man, you can run. You find out I, I can, can run. It's I like, can... well, I did four laps. That was nothing. I was like, okay, well, there must be something to this running thing. I don't know. I didn't know anything. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. I didn't. I really, I didn't even know four laps was a mile. I was just, he said four laps. So I was like, okay, I'll do four laps. And you're borrowing clothes from your brother and you're running in like makeshift like Kmart, Kmart sneakers. <laughs> I love Can it. Can you imagine? I was so embarrassed. Yeah. I was so embarrassed by myself. I really was. I was so embarrassed. I was like, I cannot believe I'm doing this. And Lori, that makes the story way, had, it makes the story way course. more powerful because you know, you, you, that, you, that's what you had. Okay. That's you being bare at that moment in time. That's what you had. That's what you brought to the table. It's not about the sneakers. It's not about the clothes. It's not about anything. It's about a teacher believing that he saw something in you and that you could do something special, believe it or not. And you had no idea that you had any ability or that you could be good at this at all. And he just sensed that you needed somebody in your corner. And, you know, he, he reached out and he brought you into the fold and things kind of took off from there. So took off from there. So talk a little bit more about high school running, um, before you like go off to your college years. So I saw that, that four miles on, and I was in, we had three groups in track, the long group, the medium group and the short group. So I put myself in the short group because I was just glad to be there and, and do something. And then Mr. Cook said, well, why don't you try the medium group? Well, I don't know if I want to do the medium group. I just did four laps. Let's not push it too much. <laughs> so I agreed to do the medium group. And then we had our first race. It was at, I think, Central Dauphin East up in Harrisburg, 1981. <laughs> The big 80s, Gen X, <laughs> a cinder track in the pouring down rain. And I'm wearing my brother's clothes, my Kmart shoes, and I'm running the mile. And um, I was petrified like to run this race. And that's before tech fabrics, you know, everything's <laughs> yeah. soaked. And I got last. I ran and I ran out hard and I died and I came in dead last. And I was like so dejected. I was like can't believe I did that. I got last. I got to tell my mother and my brother's like, it's okay, Lori, you did fine. You just went out a little hard. You're fine. And I was like, Oh no, I'm never doing this again. I was like, I can't believe I was humiliated. I felt humiliated. I, I came in last. Like I was, you know, you're a kid in ninth grade. You don't want to be last. So, um, on the way back home to the high school, Mr. Cook was awesome. He would start at the front of the bus, sit with each athlete and talk to them about their race the good, the bad, the ugly, and what he saw for them for the next meet with every kid, every race. He did that. And I can't thank him enough. So when he got to me, I was nervous. Like he was going to tell me now I went out too fast. He sat and he says, Lori, he goes, you had a really good race. He goes, but and I'm like, but when I'm soaking wet, he, he said, but I really think you're a distance runner. And I looked to him like, yeah, but I just ran the mile. That's far enough. He's like, no, no, we're going to put you in the 3,200 next time. And I said, to him, well, how far is that? Because I didn't know anything. He said, that's two miles. You'll be fine. Like, and I was dying. He's like, no, I said, Mr. Cook, I just came in dead last in a mile. I said, everyone was waiting for me to finish. Now you want me to run the two mile. He goes, trust me, it'll be fine. You're going to do two miles. I want you to go out a little slower. And he said, and we're going to put you up in the long group to train for practice. Like the long group, I'm like, you're killing me, Mr. Cook. I came in last. <laughs> I don't have good clothes. You're making me run the two mile and jump me up to the long group. And my brother is cracking up about all this. My brother, Chris, he's about a year and a half older than me. I'm like, okay. So I go home, told my mom, run the two mile next week, mom. Because she couldn't come to the track meets because she had all the babies at home, you know, so, you know, I went with my brother. So, um, 
then I ran the next race was the 3200. And um, I don't remember what school that one was at, was so long ago, but it was an away meet. And I um, lined up behind the girls. I did not have a uniform because I was a walk on. All the uniforms were taken. So if I wanted to, uniform i would have to earn it meaning that i would have to beat someone ahead of me who had a uniform that's how it was back then so um we ran on the cinder track and on the gun went off it was eight laps and i felt pretty comfortable it didn't wasn't quite as snappy as a mile i just stayed right behind that lead pack and let the girls lead me and i felt fine i wasn't tired i remember feeling well i'm just running along like a workout we got to that last lap and mr cook is literally screaming at me go around go around i'm like no 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 he's like go around and i'm like no i'm not i want to beat these girls i don't have any friends and now you want me to beat all these kids and i'm not gonna like it and my brother's yelling at me go around go around and my brother chris ran over to the other side and mr cook ran over the other side and telling me to go around so i finally found my courage and I didn't want to. I, I didn't want to beat them. I knew I could. Like, I knew I could easily beat them. But I was afraid to. I don't know why. I was just afraid. Well, I went around, and I won the whole darn race. I couldn't believe it. And I got my uniform. And I was like, I got a uniform. I'm like a person now. <laughs> so I got a uniform off of some kid. I don't know who she was. And I still feel bad that I took someone's uniform because there weren't enough. But then I got a uniform. And then it was just history. I just excelled at running for. So that is an absolutely amazing story um, on every possible level. And uh, it just gives me chills hearing it. I wasn't there, but I feel like I was there. Um, I feel like I could have been out there with your brother and Mr. Cook yelling for you to go buy those chicks. <laughs> go buy those girls. Like, girls. go kick their ass, man. Take them <laughs> down. But, you know, I get it. I get it. Because high school is a weird place, man. It it's is. such a weird place. And friendships and fake friendships and frenemies and enemies. And, you know, God, it's so hard to navigate. And it's far harder to navigate when you're coming in, you know, one year at the end of the line. So you weren't there for four years. You weren't there to, you know, kind of grow up with this whole group together. And I also have a similar experience too with high school. So I moved, you know, in, in ninth grade. So, but I had ninth, you know, I had a couple of years to kind of assimilate, but they'd all been together for, forever, you know, for everything. And you're the it's odd, different. yeah, you're the odd person out. So, um, that you're, you're just trying to assimilate. So amazing, amazing job. And then not only does Mr. Cook have this massive impact, you know, on your high school running and, and after this two miles, you go on to do some really good stuff in, in your high school running. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. you tell, tell us I was a little a bit. top runner for yeah. four years. All I right. know like for track and cross country and Mr. Cook just was awesome. An awesome coach. And after every meet, he sat with every kid on the way back on the bus and talked to that student athlete about their race and how they did and how they felt they did and what they thought they could do better. And then he would talk to them about what he saw in them and what they could do better on the next race. He put a lot of time in those kids. He did that for many years. Mr. Cook, sadly, and his wife passed away in 2012. They were both killed by a drunk driver here. And it broke my heart. I was pregnant with Isabella, my youngest. And I had just talked to them about two weeks before they passed. And I was pregnant with her. And he said to me, Laurie, if you have two more girls, you can field your own cross-country team because you only need top five. He said, you would probably have five fast girls. And we laughed so hard about that. I said, I don't know, Mr. Cook. I think this is the last one. Yeah. They were awesome people. 
Oh, just awesome. I loved him. I mean, what, a, what an impact and, and what a best practice for anybody who ever listens to our show and is part of uh, the Run Chats family listening to shows for any of the coaches out there. What a great best practice to implement because I, I'm a big believer that feedback, it's not just what you say, it's almost as important as when you say it. Um, and many times to sit down with an athlete like Lori or me or the next person, um, if you wait too long, then you're not in that moment anymore. You don't have that feeling of when it just happened. And sometimes it can be too raw. So if something really, really profoundly bad happened, maybe, or even amazingly great, maybe it is a little better to wait a little bit. But the fact that he moved up and down that bus and talked to each and every athlete, you know, on those road trips home, it's just wonderful because each kid got to feel the same level of attention and special. It wasn't like it was just Lori or, or it was just your brother, Chris, it was everyone. And they it all, was every single one. Yeah. They got to have that one-on-one -on -one time with coach and, you know, he went through the, the ups and downs and, and good for him. And what a, what a sad, um, thing for that, for them both. What a loss to the community. Yeah. Do you guys, right, what a loss. Do you do any kind Devastating. of, any kind of race to honor him or anything or? We have um, here in Chambersburg that we have a track invitational. We just had it a few weeks ago, the Tim Cook Invitational here at the Chambersburg High School. And um, that funds a scholarship and it goes to um, a top athlete going to college, the Tim Cook Scholarship Fund. And we've done that every year since he's passed away. And we Our cross-country course is the Tim Cook Memorial Cross-Country Course um, right down the road here, two miles. And his picture is up there and a handprint of his is there too. I love it. That makes everyone loves him. That makes me really happy because uh, legacy is important. Um, and what we do um, in our early life, sure, it's important and it matters. But as we get older, um, and hopefully um, a lot of my podcasts, I'm trying to focus on not only people's amazing things that they've done as a runner, an athlete, a triathlete, an ultra marathoner, but what are they doing in the community too? Because to me, that's super important. And if, if COVID and this pandemic year plus have taught us anything is that we got to come together, man. We're divided on so many levels as a country with politics and all these other things. And there's always something you can do for another human being. There's always something you can do. And, you know, before we get into, you know, all of your cool community service, because I kind of want to save that towards the end, you know, go. I want to keep Mr. Cook alive for just a little bit more since he's not with us anymore. You know, when it came to college, he wasn't done. Because he, he wasn't done. He, he helped you. He helped you again. He, he helped me again because I told you we were poor. My, my mom was alone and my father was in and out until I was 16. And um, when he left our family um, permanently, but until that point, my father was an alcoholic, sadly, his entire life. And so um, the times that he was home, he was um, drunk most of the times. And so that was rough being a kid and getting up and going to school the next day. Um, a lot of nights I took care of my parents, took care of my mom, took care of things at home, got everything situated, and then had to get up the next day and go to school. Not really ready because I was exhausted. Like I was running well. I mean, probably running was the only positive thing I had because home was difficult when you're, you know, you're just getting by. And I think Mr. Cook knew that I had it rough at home. And I think that's probably why he asked me to be on the team, just to keep me, um, you know, connected to something a little longer, you know, than just the school day. So I think he knew um, how rough we had it at home. So, um, 
when it came time for me to graduate high school and go to college, I did not have the grades. I'm embarrassed to say that. Like, not a lot of people really know that about me, but I struggled in high school because I just didn't really have time to focus on my homework because I was always helping um, the siblings, um, which I don't regret doing. I would help my mother um, anytime she needed it on there, take care of my brothers, you know, help get them to bed, um, clean the house, take care of my mom, you know, and then, you know, if my father was intoxicated at night, that made for a pretty chaotic night. And then to get up the next day tired and, and go to school and do algebra, which, you know, I was tired. And so I didn't have the grades to go to college. And so I didn't know what I was going to do. And Mr. Cook, um, again, helped me. He, um, and back then, you know, we didn't have the internet, you know, 1984, I graduated high school. So he um, took me to Shippensburg University, where I went to school eventually, and um, helped me get me enrolled in what was called back then the Act 101 program, which was for um, kids um, like myself who, and I think they called it educationally and socially, economically deprived kids. Well, that was me. I didn't get a really good education because I everything was crazy and we were poor. So I didn't have the finances to go. So I qualified for this federal program. Um, thanks to Mr. Cook. Cause I didn't know anything about it. And I really don't know what I would have done if I didn't get to go to school. Um, I don't know. I didn't really think about it, I guess, right until now, but anyway, I didn't know what I was going to do. So Mr. Cook got me in college and I went to Shippensburg in the Act 101 program. And it was for kids like me who um, had ability, but not opportunity. So it was a summer program. So I went to, to college that June and um, that whole summer we spent working on um, study skills, leadership skills, goal setting. And then if I could get through that summer school program, then I was allowed to stay and, you know, for the four years. And I did really well in the summer school program. And then I started my freshman year that fall, you know, with the regular kids, met with my guidance counselor on campus to make sure I was staying on track with everything. And I also ran at Shippensburg. But now that I look back, I really wish I didn't run because, again, I told you we were poor. I worked three jobs to get through college. So, and I went and I ran and I commuted from home and I ran, I commuted and I helped my mom and I went to class. And again, I'm continuing to spread myself very thin and did not do well in college. And I did not do well in running. I worked at the counseling center Monday through Friday, 11 to one. I went to class eight to 1030. Then I, um, I went to track practice across country in the afternoon. Then I left there. I went to Hardy's. I worked at Hardy's drive-thru. Like five to whenever, eleven whenever I got that place cleaned up, went home, went back to bed, and then on the weekends I worked at the Texas Hot Wiener downtown Chambersburg. Wait, I made good money there. Waitressing, so that's how like how I paid for school. You know, I had to buy books, I had to buy a car to commute, tuition, gas for the car, car insurance. My mom didn't have that, and I couldn't ask her. I knew she didn't have it, so the only way for me to to get that college degree was to, to work for it. And my father, I told you, did not graduate high school. He went in the Navy. He dropped, he, 
he um the, the old family story is my father stole a car in jersey city and to avoid going to jail he joined the navy whether that's true or not i don't know that's that's the story around the block in the peretti household so you know he didn't graduate high school and my mother did but no one went to college so it was i felt like a lot of pressure to get that degree. My brother went in the Marines, by the way, so he was situated. So it was either somehow muddle my way through those four years or join the military because I didn't really know what else I was able to do. So I struggled for four years at shipments were working, running, going to class and barely passing. Okay. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that, but um, it was hard. You know, I gave one paycheck to my mom. She got one. Then I kept one paycheck for my bills. And then my smallest paycheck, that was my spending money. So I only spent like the, the smallest what I had. And I did that for four years. I got to my junior year. I My junior year was rough. I was just like at the end of my rope, like physically and emotionally. And I just couldn't do it anymore. I could not. I was like, couldn't do it. I was like, I am failing out of college. I am always leaving practice early. I am late for work. I don't know what I am doing here. Like just lost, you know? And um, I had a conversation with my mother and she said, you know what, Lori? And I said, what? Because I didn't want to let my mom down. I didn't want her to know like how hard I was working to keep everything together and how much my struggle was. Cause it really was rough. And she said, you know, Lori, she goes, you need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps because if you don't, nobody else will. And I thought about that and I was like, I think she's right. If I give up now, then I won't, I'm this close. Like if I can just like dig my heels in a little further and keep this up, this pace up a little longer, maybe I could make it. So I thought about, well, how am I going to have to finish school that uh, I had to finish college? I had to do that and I had to work to finish school. But I realized I did not have to run. And I liked to run, but I was on the team. I was varsity, but I wasn't like I was in high school. I was like a little fish in a big pond in college. So um, I, I quit running. And it was hard. I and mean, I felt really bad about that. But it was the only way I could get through college. I could not keep up that pace anymore. So I, I walked off the team. It's like, I'm not, I can't do it. What do you mean? It's like, I can't, I just, I need to get through this, these four years. So, um, I gave up, um, the track and the cross country team. I kept on working and I, I did graduate, <laughs> took me an extra semester. Ron was four and a half years for Lori Peretti, but she got through it. And I graduated with a psychology degree. I was like, I did it. And um, my mom was thrilled. She threw this big party home. All of my Italian aunts came. We had a rum cake. And it was great. My mother was so proud. That's that's beautiful. And it was I, hard. Let I me got, tell you. It was I, rough. I got to tell you. I'm, I just I'm exhausted. didn't know where I was coming or going, honestly. I, I'm exhausted listening hard. listening to how much- That was my you, schedule. You were you were balancing. I I- I can't believe how many things that you had on your plate. And, um, and my father was gone by then. So it was just my mom at home. So I had to take care of her. Yeah, that's that's just, I mean, it. there's a point. We all have a limit. And um, 
I was at my limit. Like yeah. if you're, I like walked to the edge and looked over. It's like, I got to take a step back, Lori Peretti. You were on. The, I did. I quit the team. You were on the cliff and you got the, on the cliff. You got the tough love from your mom. Cause that's the way it was back then. That's what she told me, um, you know that. And it's also the truth, man. Um, I say it's one of my favorite sayings of all times. Like nobody's coming to get you, man. Every no time coming to get when me. I'm out, and nobody the, cared. It was just me. Like you, nope. no one like, yeah. you don't go to school. You don't go. Nobody cares. Yeah. Whatever. Right? Yeah. The the truth is, it's just like with running, like people that put so much pressure on themselves to do these different things in running. I'm like, look, no one cares. You care. You care. It's your goal. It's your mission. Okay. And your goal, if the only reason you're running is to qualify to go run the Boston Marathon, that's not your reason for running. That's not why you run. That shouldn't be why you love running. If you have a passion for a sport, or for something in the community, it has to be deeper than just the badge, the ribbon, the chance to get here. It's got to be something more meaningful. So in this case, as much as you loved running, you knew you had to graduate and you prioritized. So you learned an important life skill because you wanted to be the first in your family to graduate and you did it and you got through it and it was exhausting as hell. It was exhausting. But you did it. You I did got it. the degree. It yeah. wasn't a four O GPA either, <laughs> but it counted. <laughs> hey, on, on run chats, we like, don't people don't know, you know that about me. And now they're gonna know they I don't know what they thought of me before, but now they're like, Lori. I was like, Yeah, it was rough back then. It was you know, I don't know that everyone knew that about me in my early life was hard. I guarantee you that people are going to be like, oh my God, how in God's name did she handle all that stuff and still help out your mom and help out the family and all the other yeah, stuff. Yeah, took care so, of my brother, Dominic, yeah. kept him straight and narrow, that kid. Yeah. He didn't get away with anything. He had two, he had my mother and he had me. Yeah. Yeah. You said, you said that at the beginning where we were coming on. Give him so, heck. I still give him heck. Well, it's okay. I mean, you know, in, in the family relationship, we all have our dynamic and, you know, some 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 siblings are harder on than others. Some were softer on, and it just depends, you know, on, on how that whole dynamic works. So yeah, but it was fun. I did it right. I did it. Yeah, heck yeah, you did it. I so, didn't quit. No, no. And look, that's an important life lesson. You didn't quit. You didn't quit. You were working multiple jobs. You were going to summer school. You're doing all these things because you realized you had to finish. Okay, and mm -hmm. that's in life. Finish. Like a race. It wasn't an option to not finish. Yeah. Not finishing was not an option. It's not a DNF situation. It wasn't we a finish. DNF. We got to keep going. So, and I think that that's <laughs> <I did it. laughs> you, that strength and that will and that determination is going to lead us into the story about um, why you've done some really remarkable things, you know, on these super long distance races, not just crushing it at like JFK, but like 24 hour runs, hundred mile runs, stuff that most people like really only even ultra runners, you know, that do very well in ultra. A lot of them don't do very well when they start to try to do 24 hour runs or other things because, Hey, and you get to a point where some people just, they crack, you know, they can't get enough nutrition in, or they just lose the will to keep going or they get injured or any number of things, you know? So in this case, you know, let's come back to how did you get back into running? Um, you know, you know, after leaving college, having a family and all that stuff, how did you kind of get back and, and restart your running? How did that come together? Well, I always liked to run just for the sake of running because it was almost like like a safety net for me. It was like a place where I could feel good about myself. I could run and 
feel successful because I wasn't successful in school. Um, it, that was always hard for me. So running was a place where I felt good about myself. So I always loved that feeling that I got when I went for a run. So when um, I met David, my husband, after college, and I was working, and um, he was not a runner, and I, I, I was starting my running again, and um, I decided I always wanted to run a marathon. I want to run this Great Valley Marathon in Chambersburg, and I didn't know how to train for a marathon. Story of my life, I go into everything blind. I just don't know what I'm doing, but I, I'm, I'll give it a shot. Story of my, so I sign up for the Great Valley Marathon. It's in my town here in Chambersburg, and it's in January. It's, I don't know why they had it in January. I think because it was a Boston qualifier, and it's 11 degrees, and I'm wearing my purple parka, and I decide I'm going to run this race. I'm going to run it. I didn't really try. I ran like 12 miles. So I ran it in a 354 and I felt pretty good. And I ran the race and Dave was like, you did really good, Lori. And I was like, yeah, I ran. I think I might run it again next year. So I ran it the next year and I think I got like 347, 348. And I guess after that, I kind of got the bug that I wanted to keep running the marathon. So I did. And I, we had um, two daughters, Savannah and Jillian. And um, I worked full-time at the county. I told you I worked at the county mental health, mental retardation, and drug and alcohol program, which I was already an expert in just by <laughs> my life. So I worked there, and I loved it. I had a good time working there. And I would run at 3 and 4 in the morning so I could be back to get my kids up because David worked early hours, too, and um, take them to daycare. And I would go to work, and I would get ready in, in the ladies' room and go to work. Then I would pick the kids up and go home, and I did that, and I ran the Marine Corps Marathon several times. My brother Chris took me to my first Marine Corps Marathon. We we ran that together. I beat him. He still I still like to rub that in his face like I beat you, Chris. And then uh, he took me to my first Boston in 2007, and I didn't even realize I qualified. He's like, Laura, you qualified at Marine Corps for Boston. I was like, I did. He's like, you did. I was like, I had no idea so he goes so let's go to boston we can we can go together so we he took me to my first boston marathon my brother it was 07 it was a rainy year and that was the year i was sick that year i had um gotten pneumonia and um had a lot of problems with my left lung that year um with not being able to get it inflated the whole way. I had a lot of scars from the pneumonia and chris is like well you still want to run the boston i was like yeah i think i'll be all right and so we get there and I hadn't trained for like six weeks because I was sick and I was in and out of the hospital with this stinking pneumonia. I couldn't shake it. So we get there and Chris is like, listen, I'm going to drop you off. You go on the bus. And it was pouring and I'll be at the finish line. He goes, but if you can't make it, find the Red Cross, you know, the tents with the red, and just go there and tell them to call me and I'll, I'll come get you. Laura's like, all right. So I just ran an aid station to aid station, Red Cross tent. And I got to the finish line in 347. And I found my brother and we went home. And it was like, just dumb. You know what I mean? Like, I did it. It wasn't like stellar, but um, he took me to that. And um, I'm so grateful because I, I knew about the Boston Marathon, but I never really saw myself as someone who could like qualify and run it. And then after I ran that first time, Chris said, you know, if you would really try and train, you could probably get down to the three thirties. 
So I did. I, I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing myself, getting up early and running and, and training. And that's about the time when I um, met uh, Mike Spindler in Hagerstown, about 40 minutes south of here. And I joined Cumberland Valley Athletic Club, and then Mike coached me. And, um, and I was older then. I was in, probably in my 40s by then. And um, I had finally broke through. I ran a 327. And that was like, oh, wow, I think I can keep going. And then I ran a 318, a 317. I was like, I got to keep pushing myself because I don't know how far I can get. And then I ran a 308. I won Bob Potts Marathon out in New York. I was thrilled. I never ran a, run a marathon. And then Boston 2013, I ran a 306.20. I never ran that fast again, but I, I did it once. What, a, what an unbelievable, from starting at 354, to get to 306 at 47 um, yeah yeah well wasn't i wasn't on the fast path to anything in life yeah but and, i took my time i did it right yeah but i mean more importantly um running was a sanctuary for you so getting up at four in the morning the people i know that that um, kind of live that lifestyle they don't care they'll get up at four in the morning they'll get up at five in the morning they'll get up at three in the morning or they'll run after midnight because they have to have that time it's sacred time to themselves to, you know, just kind of reset and just, it helps them manage all the rest of their life. So for you to come back to running and, you know, in these smaller steps, you know, kind of baby steps and qualify yes, for Boston, qualify for Boston, not even know it, you know, it's just wonderful. And then, you know, you just keep taking time off, taking time off, taking time off. You run through pneumonia, you win a race in New York, you win a marathon. And then, you run 306 in Boston. So, I mean, that's a huge, huge progression. 354 to 306, starting in your mid-40s, you know, and then you're continuing to get faster. But that's not where the story ends because you you do a lot more amazing things after that. Oh, and we should say, because not everyone is going to know, you know, Mike is the race director of the JFK 50. Yep, so, JFK. There yep. you go. And we're my sporting shirt. our JFK 50 we gear are, right? and swag. Yeah. I love my shirt. Yeah. And Mike I ran is, it 11 times. And, and Mike is a terrific coach, right? I mean, Mike, Mike's worked with you, Love right? Mike. Yeah. He and, used to yell at me, don't show up my track tired, Lori Diamond, because <laughs> he knew I would run. I was running like 20 miles a day to run that 306. Like, I didn't take it lightly. And I would run 20 miles on Monday, 20 miles on Tuesday, go to track practice Wednesday morning. How many miles have you run so far this week? Don't lie to me, Lori. I'll know. <laughs> You were really, you were running 20 miles every day. Yes. And I said, 40. He goes, he goes, I don't want to see you dragging your ass around this track because if you do, I'm sending you home. And I'm like, okay, you won't see me drag my ass around the track because I'm going to do it. Mike Spinner, you wait and see. I just loved him. Like he like kind of pushed me, but like in a loving way, you know, cause he knew, I think I could do it, but I think he also knew like I was pushing myself really hard to do it. You know, because I wasn't really fast. I could run, I could push myself, but I, I wouldn't say I was really talented. Like, I felt like if I could just build up my endurance space more, then I could hold on to that fat, that a uh, faster per mile pace longer and I would die later. That was my thinking and training myself, you know, until I got to um, see Mike Spindler. He says, No, 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 no. We're going to work on your speed. <laughs> We're going to, periodize your training and and you'll get there and and I did but um that was my mindset that I had to run a whole lot in order to not fall apart and I could run that 7 minute pace you know the whole way through 
So you were doing huge volume outside of your work with Mike. So you, were you running 140 miles a week? Were you running that many miles a week? Or Yes. That's huge volume. Now, hopefully you're volume. not going to tell me that you were running those miles fast. I hope you were running them at a... No, I, I okay. had a push down run on weekends and an easy, yeah, no. Good. So you, were, so you were developing your aerobic strength. You were making yourself an aerobic monster because it all lends into where you become amazing at which is running, you know, at hundred mile distance, 24 hours, stuff like that. So you were doing it maybe totally unwillingly. You were building yourself and setting yourself up for success at these super, super long distance races that most people just can't, they can't tolerate or they can't hold up. So running that kind of mileage, that base made you incredibly strong. The one day of sharpening and being on the track with them, he developed your speed. So that hit a different level of your training system. So it really got you ramped up to go into other areas. So let's let's talk <laughs> first, your best JFK 50, because a lot of people who listen to our show have run the JFK 50, and I've had at least three guests on so far Who's that have run it. it. Um, that race. Yeah, and I'm going to have more because I'm a big fan of this of that race particularly, but 727 at JFK, third female overall at 49. At That's 49? killing it, girl. Killing so embarrassed. it. So I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. So so talk to me about that race. Um, did you That was just... my 10th JFK. That was my ninth or 10th finish. And um, I wanted to get under eight hours for a very long time. And I danced around it for I, 801, 806. 813. I couldn't get under. And the one year I ran the 801 was the year I fell and broke my finger on the switchbacks right over. I went over like I tripped and I went flying down and um, I was afraid. And I thought, well, if you just let your body be limp, it won't hurt as much. And I crashed into a tree and I put my hand out and I put my head down and I, and I broke my finger. And, um, I think I was knocked out also, but I was laying there and I was trying to figure out what happened to me. And then I remember feeling this warm hand around my feet and there were people trying to pull me back up to the path. And I was like, oh my God, I'm running the race. What happened? And the man said, are you okay? And I looked, I'm like, I think I'm okay. I said, but you have to help me get back up there because I had to finish this race. He goes, you can't finish this race. You took a bad fall. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I have to finish this race. He looks at me. Are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. My finger is like this. He goes, look at your hand. I'm like, it's fine. I don't need my hand to run. I'll be fine. I promise you I'll be fine. And that was a cold year when we were running in tights. So I get down to the bottom of the switchbacks and lady goes, are you the woman who fell over the side? I looked at her. I'm covered in debris. And I said, no, she's still on her way down. She'll be right down. And the man looked at me, who's helping me. I took off. It's like, <laughs> you are not, the, this is my race lady. Yeah. Just hand out the stuff i'm going so i got my drink i left he started laughing he goes Laura, are you sure you're okay and I said, i'm fine but do you have some ibuprofen he goes you gave me four ibuprofen i took them all and it's like and at the finish line i get my rings cut off because my my wedding rings were my hand was so swollen around my um rings wow and it was just like i finished it like i did not i was like this no i just fell i have two good legs so i one-handed it through the aid stations you know, for my aid, because I didn't have a crew. It was just get a drink. You know, I put some chips in my mouth, chug some whatever soda Gatorade and kept on going. That, the AT. I did it. The AT. It was like, I'm not stopping. 
broken finger. It's cruel. I mean, it's the, cruel. the AT is cruel and it's just, it's going to extract pain and suffering. <laughs> that was and horrible. I'm it, still slightly traumatized. I, I, I can't understand how you couldn't be possibly still traumatized. I mean, I went down. I was afraid. I went down. I was bleeding all over the place. My knee, my ankle, my shin was gushing blood. And the funny story is when you come out, because this year was COVID, <sighs> this year was COVID. So a lot of people normally change their shoes when you come out of there right at that spot. A lot of people yeah, change the at shoes the bottom, yes. to run at the scene. Weaverton. Yeah, Weaverton. So that Weaverton's the parking yeah, lot. That didn't happen this year, obviously. So they, they didn't have any of that going on because they didn't want people, you know, kind of mingling and being close together. And every aid station I came through, people saw it because the blood was all they're like, they saw oh, you. let us, let us clean that up here. I'm like, oh, don't fucking touch anything. Leave me alone. I'm good. Because in, in my mind, I was like, if they start messing around with something, you know, maybe a bone's going to pop out or something. I wasn't even looking at it. I was just like, just like you, although my fingers weren't dangling and all like broken. I didn't want to risk it. And then when the race was over and I got on the bus and then I looked, I was like, what the heck? I was like, man, it was like all over the place. And I was like, yeah, these are going to be some good race photos. And yeah, you know, right. It was fun. Yeah, I did. We did it. Right. We did it. Heck yeah. Although you, yeah. yours is way worse, man. You, you got knocked out and I was you horrible. Know, yeah. But so, t but tell but that's not the 727 year. No, 727 was 2015 and I was 49. Right. It was right two weeks before I turned 50 actually. Cause my birthday is, um, right after JFK. So, um, I trained specifically for, I did a lot of trail running because of the fall. I needed to be able to get over the, the, um, through the Appalachian trail faster than I normally did. And then, um, I did a lot of, of the long, um, road runs and a lot of, I did a lot of, um, running on the road for two hours, running on the trail for an hour, and then running on the road for another two hours, like to transition from road, kind of like for your you legs. would do in the triathlete. Mm -hmm. um, the, so I practiced a lot of that that year. And then um, I think that served me well and also training, actually training on the trails. So I lined up and I ran um, on the trail. I probably got passed by three or four other women, which is fine because I'm slow on the trail. I know that. And, um, I think I was eighth or ninth coming off the trail down at Weaverton. And then it's like, okay, now I'm in my domain and I just started picking them off. Did you switch? Did you switch time. shoes? In no, Weaverton? I didn't stop at all. Okay. I didn't stop. I just would see the girl ahead or the lady and I would go after them and then I would get her and I was like, okay, you're done. Then I would go after that. <laughs> okay, you're done. And I say, who's up there next? And that's what I did like the whole way on that towpath. And then towards the end of the towpath, I caught up with a, a girl. Her name was Erin. And she she and I made friends. I, I'm a talker. So I made friends with Erin. She was running. And I was running. And Erin was 29 turning 30. And I'm 49 turning 50. And we were, like, laughing about this. Like, here we are, like, killing ourselves. And we got to the road. And Erin said, Lori, I don't think I can keep going. I looked at her. I said, what do you mean? We're almost done. We have, like, eight miles to go. She goes, no. She goes, Lori, if you can keep going, you'll get third place female. And I'll get fourth. And I was like, what? I was like, we're that. I said, we're third and fourth. She goes, yeah, we're third and fourth. And I was like, no way. And she goes, yeah, keep going. You can do it, Lori. And I said, 
okay, see, I'll see you at the finish here. And I took off. I just killed myself on that road to get back to the school. I was on like eight minute mile, which isn't that fast. But after, you know, all that. No, no, no. Hold on a minute. It's not fast. Okay. That's the most ridiculous like, thing anyone's ever said. I was like, this is my said. one chance, it's Ron, time to out. finish see the time out? JFK. Time out means I talk. Okay. It's not fast. Running eight minute miles in the last eight and a half miles on the JFK road course, which is hilly, by the way, it's <laughs> not flat. It's hilly is very fast. Okay. It's exceptionally fast. It's unbelievably fast. So don't kind of try to minimize it like you were like jogging. Okay. Eight minute pace at the end of 40 and a half miles or 41 and a half miles when you get dumped off the CNO is epic and it's unbelievable. So I'll never do it again, but yeah. it was epic. But wow. she told me that and I was like, this is it. Your only chance, Lori Diamond, just go. Wow. That's and I did. I just went. It's like I'm doing it today because I'll be 50 in two weeks. Now, when you were when you were coming in, because you're known, this is your area. This is your run for, you know, CV Cumberland Valley Athletic. You're you're part of the local landscape there where like people screaming and going bananas, you know, were they like yelling for you as you kept getting closer in? Because as you get yes, closer in. Yes, my kids in, were there. They were they knew I wanted to be under eight. And they were like, She's gonna do it. You're finally gonna do it, Mom. I was like, I'm gonna do it. And I did it. It was just incredible. Well, you didn't just go under And I was also embarrassed too. Like I just, it was hard. Like everyone's like, you know, I was a little embarrassed. Like, oh my God, I did it. Okay, let's go home now. Yeah. Dave was like, you can't go home now because you got a trophy. Yeah, that's right. You got to go up there and get, I that's have to go podium. Up and stand on that podium. It's top three. It's podium. And and going under eight is like 759, 758, you ran 727. I know. I don't okay. know how I did that. That's crazy. That's, like, how did I do that? Like, well, I still don't know. People ask me that day, how did you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I was just running hard. I, I had 50 miles to get in. I definitely don't. I definitely don't I know. Fall. I don't know how you did it. Um, but it is totally amazing. But I want to talk before because you know we got we absolutely have to cover some of your other age group records and some of your other stuff. So when did you um, say, "Hey, I'm going to try hundred milers, twenty four hours"? Like when did that come to be? How did it come to be? Talk a little bit about that. So um, probably around the year 2016, my friend Rick Myers owned, had owned a running store here in Chambersburg. The Soul. Um, the runner soul was the name of the store. And um, he wanted to have a 24 hour run out at our local park, Norlo park. And he said, Lori, why don't you run the, come out and do the 24 hour run. And I was like, what is a 24 hour run? I, I'm so like uninformed. <laughs> he said, you know, who, you run for 24 hours and whoever runs the farthest wins. So I was like, really? People do that. He's like, yeah, it's fun. I'm like, really? It's fun. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So I I signed up and I went. It was right two miles from my house is Norlo Park. It was a one and a half mile loop and I didn't train for it. I just went and my husband crewed me. And um, I think I ran like 113 miles that day. <laughs> and I won. And I was like, crap. It's completely, race. completely and Rick is bananas. Like, he goes, you know, to qualify for the national team back then, it was only 120 miles. He goes, you, you ran seven miles more. You could you could qualify for the national team. Like there's a national team. He's like, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, well, okay. I need several more miles. So I, I hired a coach to train for the 24 hour run. And, um, I trained for an entire year and I went to Cleveland to North coast in 2015 
and I ran 135 and a half miles at North Coast. And I was second female that day, and I, I qualified for the team. And then I drove home. <laughs> beyond beyond words. Forget about the drive. Forget about the driving home. That's just completely nuts. But 135 miles, 113 miles in your first one. Um, like for people that don't even think about doing something like this, just to even go for twenty moments for, for 24 hours. If you walked for 24 hours, you're a god or goddess to me. I don't care if you didn't run one step and you just moved for 24 hours. But these are just prolific distances, like beyond belief. And I know that those are some of your age group records, right? That you've run, that you've got the American age group records. I have um, my American age. That was when I was, I think it was 49 when I ran the 135 and a half. So when I turned 50, um, I went to Philadelphia to dust, dawn to dust to dawn, 24 hour run. And I ran 133.22 miles there as a 50 year old. And that's the record. That's not my personal record, but that's the American record. For for age 50. For age 50, yes. Remarkable. Completely remarkable. And then you also set your other two records are the 200K and the 50K, right? Yes. The 200K I got um, the same day as a 24-hour run in Philadelphia. And then the 50K, I got that in 20, just recently, 2019, I went to Desert Solstice in Arizona. Um, to get the 50k record and I got it there and then I turned 55 and that's caught up to me right now <laughs> now I'm 55 <laughs> see I've always taken lots of small steps my whole life nothing ever happened fast it took me forever yeah but you're, where I am you're you're young you're young you're young and you're doing amazing stuff and you know I think because you had your high school years of running you had a couple years of college running and then you had a pretty good gap in there. And then you kind of came back to it. It probably extended your longevity because you've run crazy mileage, you know, as you got stronger, built and running 140 miles. I don't know if you were doing that every single week, or that was just once in a while as you were building up and getting stronger, you know, when Mike was first coaching with the group, but I mean, that's just prolific stuff. Just absolutely amazing. Like, what do you think about while you're running for 24 hours? I mean, what the hell is, I, what are you well, thinking about? I think about, cause I'm there. I think about like, what are the kids doing right now? Did David take Isabel to ice skating lessons? Did somebody let the dog out? Did somebody get the mail? Like, cause that's like, I'm still used to like taking care of everything. So I'll think about like everything, like what would normally be happening at home. Like most people, I should probably like focusing on splits or other things, but like, there's a lot of time to think in your mind sometimes wanders. So sometimes it wanders back to what my family would be doing. You know, and then I come back to like pushing myself or, you know, changing my shoes or what do I have to do to get, you know, back in the game mentally? Um, because that's a long time. That's a lot of thinking. <laughs> and you know? a long time. It's, it's a, a whole time. It's a whole freaking day. It's a whole man. day. And then I Jesus. think my husband's sleeping now, that bum. He's <laughs> snoring. He has the whole bed to himself. And I'm out here killing myself. Still, still doing your thing. What do you what going do you, around the track? Yeah. What do you what do you do for fuel for 24 hours? Like what do you do? You're having solid food, gels, drinks, like is it a combination of like all the above? Like I what try to mix it up because if I if I do too many gels and I get sick. Okay. You know, the vomiting, yep. you know, so I try to do gels for part of it and then I switch to solid food. Okay. And then I just stick with solid food the rest of the way. What do you like for solid food? 
Just debate, like the basics, macaroni and cheese, potatoes, okay. chips, pretzels. So simple stuff. Simple stuff. Yeah, nothing fancy mm-hmm. ever. Just simple stuff. Or soda if I need the caffeine yep. or the sugar. Got to have some Coke in there. Yeah, oh. and then sometimes I just want cold water. Like I just have a glass of nothing in it, like no sugar, just like ice cold water. Like Because I'll say to my crew, I just want a cup of clean cold water if nobody minds. Do you do you take a nap at any point? Do you just feel like at some point you no. got to like lay down for a few minutes? No, nope. not even, nope, not once. Not even, no, I, nope, no nap. So you're moving. You might not be I'm running. Moving. The only time you're stopping maybe is like a shoe change or a sock change or something like that. Yes, a sock the most change, part. a shoe change. Yeah, go to the bathroom. Yep. <laughs> that, that kind there's of a know, good housekeeping. Point. I forgot about the bathroom. Oh you my God. You go to the bathroom? Of course. Right? Oh my God. You gotta yeah, go God, to the God bless Porta Johns or like wet God wipes. God bless Porta Johns, wet, right? I've been wet, in lots of Porta Johns. Yeah. Or wet wipes. I'll tell you though, I don't <sighs> even know how. Like, I've never gone 60s the furthest I personally run. And I just know, like, even, even in the JFK 50, like when I had to go to the bathroom in the Porta John, just right off the CNO there. And I don't know what it is, but. I, it might just be something with my legs specifically, my leg muscles. But if I sit on a toilet bowl, it could just even be for like three minutes. You all can't of a sudden, get up. it's like no. Well, I can get up, but all of a sudden my calves start cramping or yes. other things, and they're not cramping right. when I'm running. I'm like, what's happening to me? So right? I, I can't imagine running for 24 hours. Like that's why you don't stop. Don't stop, right? Keep moving. That's, you got to keep moving because then once you stop and get, then it's just like it's all over. It's all over. Yeah, you're done for. Yeah, you're and, done. You're- and what about running in like the middle of the night when it's like pitch black? Do you just have like headlamps, like hand hand lights? Like what are you what are you using? Most of the twenty four hour runs I've done have been either at a park that has that's like lit. ambient light, okay, or a track. So I haven't um, needed a headlight um, for those events, luckily, fortunately. Cool. Um, so yeah, that's helpful. Cause I'd probably get lost. No, cause some of these trail races that like the yeah. Moab 240 and all these other races that are like over a couple of days. Like I just, I think I feel like I'm, I can be tough mentally and physically and all that stuff. I just don't know. I'm not used to running out in the desert on some trail in the middle of the night in the pitch black. Like I yeah, don't, that's not my thing. I don't think I could handle it. I'm being honest. I think I would crack. Um, and I guess it's one of those things you'd have to like get yourself used to it. You'd have to, you know, and if I stayed close to somebody, even if, like you said, when you saw other runners at JFK and you were like, I'm going to catch her and you, she's in your vision, like that helps you. But like out on a trail race where you might not have line of sight to anybody. Nobody, because you know, it's just you. Yeah. And you're yeah, out there. I know. Yeah. I don't know if that's me. I, I, it's I, not I me. So. I was a DNF at Eastern States 100. Yeah. I've got to 60 some miles and that was it. I just like, said, oh. I'm done. It's over. Um, well, I got timed out. I didn't make the cutoff. Oh, okay. You got know, it. and because I was in the dark and I, I broke my headlight and then I'm like, no, I'm out here. All, I was in last place. <laughs> Amazing. That probably, but remember the first time you came in last place on something, the next time you came back, you came in first place the next race after. So yeah, you know, I don't know if that's my thing. Yeah. Trail running. Um, so here's, this is a big piece that we haven't had a chance to get into yet and it's community. And, um, I know Shelby has been on the show with me, um, Devin and Mike, um, from the JFK page, both, um, said some wonderfully complimentary things about 
how you've given your prize money back um, from races to the community, to other people that are more in need. Um, and also just like things that you've just figured out that you could lend a hand with and help things that are near and dear to your heart. So I want you to talk a little about that because it's, it's just important to me, um, runners that are giving back and doing things in the community or any athletes that are doing things in the community. It just, it just makes me feel good. And I love to share their stories and, and why runners it matters. Runners are great people. Yeah. They truly are. Runners roll their sleeves up and get involved with the community and it's, it's awesome. So what my thing is, the, the things that I've been able to do, um, when I have won prize money, and that's not how we pay the bills here, but, you know, if you win like 50 bucks, 100 bucks, you know, a couple hundred dollars, like I never wanted to take that from the running. I always felt awkward. Like I'm awkward, I think, to begin with. So taking the money was like hard for me. It's like I didn't want – I didn't run that race for $50. Like I never did. So if the race supported the boys and girls club, and if I happened to win a hundred bucks, then I would give it back. It's like, take the hundred and put it back to your, your cause. Or I would give it to the booster club at the high school for the kids. Or, you know, I, I did that with all the race money that I earned. Or, um, when I ran, um, North coast, I think I won I don't know, seven or eight hundred dollars that year at North Coast. And that was when I was trying to qualify for the 24, the national 24 hour team. So um, I gave that to the 24 hour team. So I never wanted to take anything like for myself from the running community other than the satisfaction of, of running. So that's just what I did personally. And I don't know that people really knew I did that until Mike said that. Then I was like, okay. So then, yeah, so I, I didn't keep any of it. I, and the girls would sometimes say, mom, we're going to go see a movie. I was like, you don't need to go see a movie. These kids <laughs> need shoes. I'm tough. And they would say, well, can't we go to Chick-fil-A? No, you're not going to Chick-fil-A. I have meatloaf. You know, we're going to give this to the booster club. So like, I've done that. And I like doing that. Like I like helping the kids because I was a kid who was helped um, by Mr. Cook. And so maybe that's my way of honoring Mr. Cook by um, helping, you know, the kids with their running like he did for me all these years. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful way to pay forward. Yeah. I like to do that. It's fun. Yeah. And you right? know, it's fun to do that. Sure. It's fun. And you know, anytime we do something for another person, we'll always feel better about ourselves and not just at that moment in time when we do it, you get to feel better about yourself as it goes on and on and on. You just remember like when I did that, it doesn't matter if another person on the, in the entire world knows about it. When you did that, you didn't do it for Mike to mention it to anybody. You didn't do it for Devin to mention it on the JFK page. You didn't do it for any of those reasons. You just did it because it made you feel good. You knew it was something that was important and you knew that there's people out there that need there help. Are. There's people that need things more than we do or you do. And so you chose to make an impact. Um, Right. The because way I know Cook what it's did. like to need. Like, I know what that feels like to need and not have and um, to struggle. So I think that's also why I do it. And I also wanted you to talk about the help that you provide for the local migrants. I know you do um, work there in that area. How did that come about? And um, talk a little about that. So I that was strange how that came about. So 
like we, Chambersburg, Franklin County, Pennsylvania is an agricultural community. We are um, dairy and produce here. So a lot of the farmers rely on um, seasonal um, workers from um, Mexico, Guatemala, and they come here and they live um, and they work and they get paid to work um, for the farmers and they work the fields. And so one day I was going to get groceries about four years ago and I went um, to the Giants and I got our groceries and I, and I saw the men in the fields and I drove by them and I thought, I'm going to Giant and I'm buying this produce that they're picking. So I thought about that while I was shopping and I got the groceries and I, I grabbed a couple extra cases of water. I had all this in the back of my car. So then when I went back past the field, I just pulled over. Like, I don't know why. I just thought I pulled over. And they're looking at me, this little lady. And I said, hola, como esta? And they're talking to me. I know a little bit of Spanish. And um, I opened up the back of my car and I said, I gave them the groceries and they came, they took, they're looking at me and I said, no, take it, it's for you. Take the food, take it. And I gave them the, the family's groceries that I had bought like for all of us. And I gave it to the field workers and I had the extra water and I gave it to them. And then I, I didn't think much of it. And I got back home and there's like, didn't you get groceries? Like, no, I, I did get them, but I, I gave them away because the guys were working in the field and they looked really hot. So we'll go tomorrow, we'll get more groceries. My family's like, Oh my God, whatever. So I did that. And then I started collecting things for them to help them work because they work 12 hour days in those fields bent over. And when I was talking to them, I noticed they were in sombreros to straw, sombreros, bandanas to keep the dust, work gloves. And so that's, I initially just started collecting those three things for them, the gloves, sombreros and bandanas. And I would go back and, you know, I would get like 20 or 30 or 40 pairs. And I would give that to them. And then I saw a need for like toiletries and sunscreen. So the next time was toiletries and sunscreen. I would collect it and give it to them. And then um, one of the men told me, I said, um, what else do you need? And he said, we really need bedding. And I was like, you need bedding? And he's, I said, yeah, like blankets. So I said, okay. So I put on Facebook, I need bedding. I said, adult themed bedding, not your Care Bears, not, you know, My Little Pony. But if you have like comforters or pillows that you're not using, put them in my garage and I'll take them to the guys. So then I, I started giving them the bedding as well. So that's how that started. It was just that I noticed them, I guess maybe the same way Mr. Cook noticed me. And I noticed them and I, I just started helping them. That's a beautiful story. So I, I did that all my, by myself. And my, my youngest daughter, Isabella, would come and help me um, take them the goods. When, you know, when we collected enough, we would give it to them. And it's fun. I think it's wonderful. And um, you definitely... I like to do that. Yeah. But I think the impact Mr. Cook had on you, um, it came full circle. Um, so you're having a chance to make an impact, you know, giving away prize money, giving necessary items to workers that are out there working, right. working all their day. butt off. And you know what? Right. One, one thing can make a difference. You know, every, every day we each have a chance to impact somebody in our community and those kind of things, Lori, they're awesome. So God bless, man. You're doing, you're doing good stuff. Wonderful. 
Thank you. I enjoy doing that. That's that's a treat for me to do that. And I think it's good for my daughter to serve others as well and see like, you know, that not everyone has it. Like we have like, a, like they, my kids don't really know like how hard I had it growing up. So they don't really know that want, like I knew it. So I think it's good for them to learn, um, to serve other people. Def- definitely a great life lesson. And if you haven't been in that, in those shoes yourself, um, and you haven't grown up tough economically or financially, like where we had to work from a very young age, all of us. And it did just from our, I think more so in our own generation, I wouldn't trade my own childhood. I, I learned so much. I, I learned so much about myself shoveling snow and get, getting money to go get a hot chocolate and cutting lawns and delivering newspapers. And man, we fought. We beat the hell out of each other. We were like, I'm not delivering the papers that you deliver. You deliver. It's we your turn. Fist right? fights and brawls and punching each other. But you know what? We're as close as any brothers can be. But, you know, at the end of the week, we had money, you know, and it wasn't a lot of money, but it was our money. And you just learned learned the value of that money. And it's funny when you actually have your own money, the thought of maybe giving it to somebody else who doesn't have it. It's it's just it's a weird cyclical kind of thing. And if you've always had something and you've always been provided for and you've never been in a, a tougher or a more desperate situation, it is very hard to understand. So I think you feel that and you sense that. And I know that I can feel it and sense it too, because we grew up where it was very tight and it was hand to mouth. And to this day, I still have no idea how my mom managed it and made it all work, but she did. Yeah, I don't either. And, you know, in, in it's just wonderful. Um, so it is wonderful. Good lessons. It's the best thing, right? Yeah, it is the best. And good lessons you're passing along to your, to your daughters and, and everything else. And, you know, look, it, it's, people in your own community notice it too. And, you know, that's not why you do it. And I can also tell you, that's not why Mr. Cook did it. Um, That's not why anyone does it. People do things like that because they're good on the inside and they're just, they're not doing it to get points. They're not doing it to get likes on a Facebook page. They're doing it for the right reasons. And that is why we should always do anything. It should be grounded in, you know, the simplest explanation of all that you just want to help someone else. And if you're, if that's what you're doing and you are, then, you know, more good will come from that. Cause I can guarantee you that those people out there, those people that are working in those fields, those migrant workers, um, they're going to, they probably thought at first, like, who is this lady? What is she they, doing they, here? You know with her mean? groceries. Yeah. Like, what's this lady doing on the side of the road? What the hell is she doing? And now and it's now like, hey, work. hey, it's the lady. She's coming over. Yes. Now yeah. they like me. Yes. They go, come hey, on. Lori, they go, come, come on, Lori. Yeah. Yes, they yeah. like me now. Yeah. But but <laughs> you can be assured that they're going to share that story I with hope so, right? their own They'll share kids. with somebody else they're too then, then they can share it. And they're going to think about maybe giving something to someone else that has it even worse off than they do. So it's that's that's what it's all about. The cycle of goodness, of karma, that's why it's important. So thank you for doing those things and thank you for paying it forward um, for the wonderful lessons that you know, you learn from like Mr. Cook and him seeing you and making you feel valued and, and helping you feel that you were important. And mm-hmm, running, running has made just you, happened. yeah, running <laughs> just happened, but you know, running made you the person that you are. Running is a huge part and it made you 
who you are, a better mom, a better person in the community, a person who's thinking of others. And you figured out how, if you had to run at four o'clock in the morning, you do it, you know? Somebody says, hey, run a 24 hour race. I'll do it. I'll run a 24 hour race. Like most people will be like, what? 24 hour race? Okay, I'll do it. I'll run 113 miles in my first time. I'll do it. (laughs) You know, no problem. So You uh, could do it. It's fun. You should try one sometime. Well, right now I am still recovering. I'm just about done. I got a stress fracture from running my 60 mile run on my 60th birthday. And, um, I had a really hard fall five days before. No, no, it's okay. I had a hard fall or I smashed my knee. Like I hit it onto a block, you know, on the street, the street lights were out in the section I was running and you just couldn't see. And I just tripped and I did a Superman, like your fall on the trail. And I, but I just hit my knee against like a boulder of a rock and you know, I continued to run like, I don't know, like thir- 13 or 14 more I'm miles on that run. I wasn't done because I wanted to get my fourth straight hundred mile week. And I ran like 435 miles in January in only 24 days of running. It was only 24 days of running because my knee was so sore. I couldn't run for five full days. So I mean, I was having trouble walking, but I could walk, but I, I knew I couldn't run. And then my birthday came and that was the day that I wanted to run 60, 60 for 60 for, for ribs. And so I made it, but I don't know. Good for you. I don't know for sure that it, the stress fracture was already there. It's likely it wasn't there, but it happened like during the run, but I'm almost clear. And I could tell you right now, um, I have other things in mind to raise money for Tommy and his family. And I know that you have to do stuff. You got to do something big to get people to notice and say, okay, I want to help this guy's family. If this guy's going to do this, I'm going to help. So I can tell you right now, if I am, when I'm well enough, and it's got to be healed up, obviously, and it's going to be fully healed up. I'm riding a bike for weeks now, you know, outdoors and indoors behind me. But if I do something like that, I think it would raise a lot of money. So yes, it I, would. I might have to get you involved because, um, there, I mean, first of all, if you'll be like 40, 50 miles ahead of me, I don't even know if I could walk <laughs> for 24 hours, but I think something like that be might fun. be fun. It would it's be crazy. Fun. Mm-hmm. Just my kind of thing, but, um, you need things, right? you need things that'll you get do. attention when you want to raise money. You just do. It can't be, okay, you're going to go run a marathon. No one cares about that. <laughs> no one cares about that. Anybody, you know, everybody runs a marathon. So it's like, okay, what you're going to run 24 hours. Yeah. I I could. So who knows? I don't know where I might do it, but I know that I would need help and I would know I need people to run with me. And I know I need some people to, you know, have like a little, community staging area for shoe change of socks. So you, you might have to help me plan for that and prep for that. And maybe you even have to come and run some, come run the whole thing with me. We'll see. Cause I I know, I know you're all about the community and doing good things. And, um, that is awesome. So that would help. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see if we can put something like that together when I'm, when I'm all, when I'm all healed up. So before I let you go, I Thank you so much for sharing so many amazing stories. I mean, you have an amazing like life story, running story, all of that. All your stuff you're doing in the community is so cool. But is there anything big that we didn't get to that you're thinking about for 2021 or even just moving forward? Something we just didn't get a chance to touch on before we uh, roll out. No, I'm just going to keep on rolling here. You know, (laughs) I'm 55. So who knows, right? I just want to keep on running and as long as I can. Well, hell, as long as you can, right? you, Why not? you're you're running faster now than you, when you were in your forties. So of course you're going to keep going. Absolutely. Keep going. Why not? Right. Absolutely. Well, we'll link up in the show notes, the episode notes, the Instagram post, the Facebook post, we'll link up 
your Instagram page, you know, your Facebook info so people can follow you and just see what you're up to with your running and things you're doing in the community because it's it's super important and it's fun. And you know, we'll we'll do we'll put this podcast up on the JFK 50 page so all the people who run JFK will hear it and listen to it because we got to get them all involved because, you know. I love them. They're yeah, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been such a blast, Lori. Thanks so much for hanging out with me this Thank afternoon you. and spending spending time with me. So we always close every episode by just saying, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door. Peace out, everybody. Always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, Lori is a dynamo. She not only has a huge heart to help people in her community, but she's certainly using it to crush racing times in her masters in an age where most people are slowing down thinking their best days are behind them. I wanted to share with everyone what she felt her three best performances were and to give everyone hope as they age up and are thinking that maybe perhaps their best days are behind them. She ran her best time in Boston 306.20 at age 47. She ran her best JFK 72710 at age 49, where she was not only the first local female, she also made the podium and she was the third woman overall at age 49. Also at age 49, she ran 135.5 miles at the North Coast 24-hour run. So for everybody out there who is maybe thinking their best days are behind them or they're not going to be able to continue to crush performances, this is all the inspiration you need is just to listen to Lori's story and see some of the things she's doing. And the impact she's having in her community, I believe, is even more profound. I think uh, one of the fun ways I get guests on the show is just recommendations from previous people who've been on the podcast or friends of friends. And I had Shelby Molesky on who ran the JFK 50. And this is a direct quote from Shelby. You absolutely need to get Lori on your pod. She's a local legend and is also known on the national and international level. She's the definition of mentor, rock star, and badass. I chased her around the track for years, a true gem of a human, a tiny little lady with a heart of pure gold and grit and determination like no one I've ever met. I don't know why I didn't think to recommend her before. So I wanted to share that as we're closing out because a huge part of sharing inspiration and love with the running community, it's the entire purpose of why I started this podcast. It's, it's our reason for being. So referrals, recommendations of people to have on the show or referrals from people like you all who are part of the Run Chats family telling people, hey, this is a great podcast. I'm hearing really interesting content. Did you listen to the last episode and on Ginny Loves Try 24, talk about triathlon and her Ironman triathlon experiences? Or, you know, Dr. Jordan Metzl talking about sports medicine and his Ironman marathon history and, and how he makes recommendations to patients, i.e. myself. Um, so these are the ways we grow and we build our audience and get more like-minded people onto the show and listening to the show. And the fastest way that you can all help make that happen and help us continue to grow is to write a review on Apple Podcasts, write, have a rating or write a review. Those two things move the needle 
and bring more subscribers to the show so they can hear what we're doing over here. So thank you all to all 56 of you who have done that so far. I know I keep track of that. I check once a week and just see if there's any new reviews in there. So everyone who's done that, thank you so much. Lori, what an amazing guest you are. You are doing such incredible stuff in the community and you are not only inspiring your three daughters and other runners like Shelby and many others in that Cumberland Valley area in your Chambersburg, the, the group that you run with, um, you're going to inspire so many more people who are going to listen to this episode. So as I always say at the end, keep lacing them up, my friends, keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends. Love you all. <laughs>